How are you guys doing this morning? Great. That is good to hear. I must be honest with you, I am feeling fantastic. And do you know why? Because God is on the throne of my life. I've got nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of my Lord Jesus Christ. I hold firm to that in this life and until I see the fulfillment of what God has got planned for me, man, I hold firm to that in belief. And I know that if God is for me, who can be against me? I know that all things work together for my good for those who are called according to God's purposes. Amen? Amen. And for those that love Him, do you love God this morning? There's not a doubt in my heart that this church right in front of me loves God. And that is the most incredible thing. When we say the Apostles' Creed and we unite our faith in, in a statement of unity, it is the most wonderful, wonderful thing. It is powerful, yes. Because where there's unity, the Lord commands His blessing. Who of you guys want the blessing of the Lord in your life? i tell you how you're going to get it. You're only going to get it when you get more of God in your life. You're only going to get it when you truly seek God with all your heart. Then you will find it. Jeremiah 29, 12 promises us that. He says that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, but those who seek Him with all of their hearts. See, it unlocks the key for us in this life. <laughs> anyway, I love you guys. Pastor Mark asked uh, Judge Wayne Mack to be here this morning as he prepares for the year. Uh, that's Pastor Mark. And uh, on Friday, Pastor Mark called me and he said, Judge Wayne Mack has got pneumonia. So, um, you know, as I prayed this morning, it was a very significant prayer. Because I do realize that there's some nasty bugs out there and we all are fighting. I'm very grateful that you guys, that the Senecas are doing the Daniel plan. Because as we eat more healthy, that Jordana's already got me on this tangent <laughs> about a year ago. But as we eat more healthy and as we practice more healthy uh, lifestyles, we will see the reward of that in our lives. So thank you for doing that. That is truly amazing. Do not, do not uh, relent in going. Yes. Do not relent in going. It is uh, awesome. You guys are in week three of a six-week program, and uh, they discussed faith, and last week they did food, so Diane's giving me great feedback from that, so that is so awesome. Jerry, you had a full class in your uh, Sunday school this morning. That was so great. Thank you for uh, stepping up and doing that. Scott has been so faithful in the, in the last couple of months, and a uh, well-deserved break. You know, this is what the body of Christ is all about, is we are all part of one body. We have got different functions, and we edify one another. Thank you so much for standing in for Pastor Mark this morning in Pathfinder, Steve Scott. This is just so awesome. I know that Pastor Mark loves each of you guys and respects you guys so much. Miss Kim, please tell him that we honor him as the senior pastor of this church. We love him and we pray for him. 
and we want good things for him. All right, so in the beginning of the year, actually at the end of the year, I, I spoke about the old is gone and the new is here. How's the new year been treating you guys? Has it been okay? All right, well, I'll tell you what, I was sick for about also a good week and I had stomach cramps and all of that, but praise the Lord, today as I stand here, I am healthy, I am strong, and I am so looking forward to what the Lord has got installed for me. But I'd like to quickly just uh, turn our attention to what it feels like to miss the mark. Now, yesterday we started with the sporting clay training, and we saw a couple of things that you're supposed to do and a couple of things that you're not supposed to do. Now, what is interesting is how have you guys, how many of you guys do sporting clays? Hands up. All right. Well, so I'm preaching to a small but converted crowd this morning. But my point being, if you can imagine, you set your, your target and you take target at that clay and you pull the trigger and you miss, what does that in that moment make you feel like? Some of us play some pool, Langford's, right? And you, you line up that ball, and you've got the, the red ball in the corner pocket, and you go, and you go, and you slice it as you, as you drive it. And this thing doesn't make the corner pocket. What does it make you feel like when you miss the mark? When the, when the duck keeps flying? <laughs> it's not great. But here is what I'd like to challenge you with this morning is that we can miss the mark for all eternity. That is a far more serious missing of the mark. Do you agree with me? So this morning, I want to challenge you. We are in a process. We are moving from point A to point B. But we are in that process of having a goal, setting ourselves up to achieve that goal, but we can miss the mark. And I don't want any of you guys to miss the mark like I don't want to miss the mark. So this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3, verses 12 to 21. This is Paul speaking, and he says from verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, what is he talking about? He's talking about, in the precursor to that, about knowing Christ. Knowing Christ in his death and resurrection. And he's still trying to achieve walking in step with the example that what Jesus has given him in righteousness. To know that righteousness. But, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. How has Jesus made each of us his own. He has made us His own by the fact that we choose to put our faith and our trust in the loving hands of God the Father. And through the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ, He has become the spotless Lamb that was sacrificed once and for all. And therein, He's bought our freedom from sin. He's bought our freedom from death. He's bought our freedom from shame. That is what he has done. And he's made us his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, this is it, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, if I look behind me, those things don't define me. 
the mistakes and all of those things from the past, they don't define me. What defines me is my identity in Christ. And since I know that, I'm straining forward. Does that matter what has happened to us in the past? Well, we're going to cover a little bit of that. But I want you to be encouraged in the following, that the past has happened. We cannot change the past. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So we strain in maturity. We want to strain to a perfect lifestyle in Christ Jesus. He said, be holy for I am holy. He calls us to a lifestyle of sanctification every single day. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we attained? The grace and the forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk in according to the example you have in us. 2 Timothy 2.22, he says this, flee the evil desires of youth and do what? Pursue righteous faith, hope, and love along with those who call on God out of a pure heart. You see, around us, there are people living a lifestyle of sanctification. There are people that have got their eyes squarely fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of their faith. This is what he's saying. Look for those people. The Proverbs writer says, if you want to become wise, what do you have to do? Walk with the wise. So all around us, we have got people that are living a lifestyle in pursuit of God. Walk with them. That's what he's saying here. Imitate me. Why imitate me? With all my flaws. You know what he has done. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He was a murderer. But God did something through the, through the salvation of what Jesus Christ gave him, the gift of salvation. And what has happened is he's a new man. He's a new creation. And now he's following a lifestyle of sanctification. He says, look for those people. Find those people. Seek them out. How do you know if someone is truly in step with the Holy Spirit right now? How do you truly know? You just got to listen. What is coming out of their mouths? What are they saying? Are they speaking bad things about other people? Are they criticizing? Are they bitter about certain things that have happened? You just got to use these ears and you'll quickly know, oh man, that person is not right now in step with the Holy Spirit. That person is choosing to make circumstances their focus. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even with tears. Why? Because he's sad that these people that we see along the, the road, they are walking in bitterness. They're walking in unforgiveness. They're walking with oh, hatred and all of these things. He says, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whoa! Now, Paul doesn't mince his words here. It's a strong word, right? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly kings, things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from what it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things 
to himself. See what he says there. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's already telling us the end here. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is alive and active. Lord, I pray that as I discuss certain things that you have laid on my heart, Lord, that I will be true to this word, that I will not stray, that I will not falter. Lord, I need you. And Lord, I know that I will be held accountable to every single word that I speak this morning. I humble myself to your Lordship, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you will speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in the past, I don't want you to become what? Prisoners of your past failures. We all fail. Hands up if you haven't failed in this life. <laughs> was that? A couple of, my hand was down. Okay. <laughs> I have failed like all of us, all right? That was just to trick you. Hands up. Peter says, what Paul says, what's it? Simon says. <laughs> but my point being, <laughs> my point being is we've all failed. We've all come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There is no, not even one righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you feel that you're holier than thou, go outside. Go steal a chicken or something. So at least you've got something to repent for. But my point being, don't become a prisoner of your past failures. The things that you've done in the past. Don't let that hold you captive. If you're a prisoner of that, it means you cannot escape. What do you ultimately do? You're saying the things that I've done wrong, the horrible things that I've done wrong, I'm focusing on that more than what I'm focusing on Christ. So don't become a prisoner of your past failures. We often spoke about this when we get the opportunity, Steve. We speak about John Maxwell, and he speaks about failing forward. I love that because we all are going to fail. This is what John Maxwell says. He says, fail early, fail often, but always fail forward. <laughs> so he's saying here, he says, you're going to fail. Deal with it. You're not perfect. There's only one perfect. Who is that? Jesus Christ. He is the perfect spotless lamb. So, when we are going to fail, have enough momentum spiritually. Be so full of the Word that you've got momentum to fail forward. The Bible says here, He says, For even though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. What He says here, the righteous is key for me. Even though the righteous Fall seven times. I've fallen more than seven times in my life. First to admit that. We fall so regularly, but he says they rise again. I believe that John Maxwell says this. He says, when you fall, you're going to get up, but fall forward. So at least you cover a couple of yards in the process. All right. 1 John 1 verse 9. Here is the promise. When we fail, because we will. <laughs> he says, if we confess our sins, He, who is that? Jesus Christ, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh man, there's the freedom. There's the freedom that we so desperately crave to not be held prisoner by what we have done in the past in as much as our failures are concerned. 
Do not focus on your failures. Do not make your failures more important than your focus. I'm going to say it again. Do not make your failures more important or bigger than your focus. Where is your focus to be? Jesus Christ. Do not be a prisoner, number two, of your past hurts. See, now we're not talking about you failing and you doing something like Pastor Mark says, bless God for he is more clever than what we are stupid, right? But when we experience hurt, how many of you guys have experienced hurt? Okay, here I'm speaking to 100% of the congregation, whether your hand was up or not, because I know that we all go through it. We all have had someone in our lives that has literally shot the bullet at the very essence of our hearts. Those things have hurt us profoundly. But here this morning, I would like to encourage you, don't become a prisoner of your past hurts. Why? Because you will never walk in the joy of the freedom that Jesus Christ brings you. Here's a little bit of word of caution here. Let's turn to Matthew 6.14. And here Jesus teaches us how to pray. But he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So now here's the deal. People do bad things. They do bad things to us. They do bad things and it hurts us big time. They say nasty and untrue things even. But... What is our responsibility? Responsibility, the ability to respond. How do we respond? We respond with forgiveness. You see, the moment we forgive, we release them. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says. I will repay. Do not try and fight that battle. It's not your battle. The problem comes that we are in a race. Paul says we're in a race. We'll get to that a little bit later. So what happens is we don't just deal with hurt right now, but we deal with continuous hurt. And you might be in a situation right now where you cannot escape continuous hurt. Man, I hope you're not there. But if you are there, this is the scripture that I'd like to read. Matthew 18, verse 21, verse 22. 22 to 21 to 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? See, he thought he was, he was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive him seven times. But Jesus said to him, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, some translations have. You see, for me, it's not important whether it's 77 times or 70 times seven, which is 490 times. You see, it's not a numerical thing. The principle of the matter is, do we all want continuous forgiveness from God the Father? Therefore, when people continue to hurt you and say nasty things about you, things that, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. What do, what do you do? What's your responsibility? Your ability to respond always in forgiveness. Why? Because the Lord doesn't want you to become a prisoner of that hurt. He doesn't want you to take that hurt and make it more important than Him. Consider the source. I hear that. All right, cool. (laughs) 
All right, here's number three. So don't be a prisoner of your failures. Don't be a prisoner of your hurts. Also, I beseech you, don't be a prisoner of your past victories. Oh, my word. Because here, you build a soapbox for yourself. And you see, I'm going to rise on that soapbox, and I'm going to build it 10 miles high. <laughs> victories make you feel great, don't they? They make you feel invisible, invincible, not invisible, but they make you feel invincible. You can almost do anything. Yet the Bible is very clear, and he says, with my God, I will run. With my God, I will mount up and rise up. With my God, when I wait, with my God, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what does the Spirit of the Lord do? Raises up a standard against him. What does it speak about? You are not so special. David, you are not so special. And I'm not talking to David Chastain, I'm talking to me. David, don't think one minute you are more special than anybody else sitting in this room. Because there's one king. What's his name? Jesus Christ. You see, when we have that into perspective, we understand that every single good gift comes from where? It comes from God the Father. Every single thing that He's placed in my life, my musicality, everything, I just turn back to Him. Why? Because it's a gift. Your ability to communicate eloquently with people. What is that? It's a gift. What are you doing? For the kingdom's sake, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and what? All its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We choose to elevate ourselves and we think more of our, higher of ourselves than what we ought to. Do not do that. Because when we do that, we start to getting a pride and a haughty and a, a spirit that says, look at me, I've done this. And you start to rely on yesterday's victories. But consider this one thing, that Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest victory that human mankind has ever known. The victory over sin and death. Is my success bigger than that success? Is you becoming the president of the United States of America bigger than that success? So what is bigger than being the president of the United States? Um, I'm not quite sure. But my point being, it doesn't matter what you can think of in the line of success. Nothing is bigger than the success of the victory over sin and death. So once we get that into perspective, it humbles us. It does me. It humbles me, for sure. <laughs> it should do the same for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 uh, Paul writes, he says in the ESV, I'm going to read it out of three translations because I, I was looking for something specific and I found a combination of that in all three. In the ESV, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that just kind of says, but thanks be to God. It's almost like a side note to us in life. But the New Living Translation says, but thank God, exclamation mark. What is that? It's an imperative. Thank God. He says, because he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love, just as an extra uh, cherry on the cake, the Message Bible says this, but now in a single victorious stroke of life. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? In one victorious stroke of life. What's life? Jesus comes. He says, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. This is a gift 
of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank Him. Wow. <laughs> but let us not boast in ourselves or our victories. James 4, 6, verse 8. He says, but He gives us more grace. This is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's a harsh scripture. But actually what happens, if you look, look at that in context, the way I read it, it says, if you become prideful or proud, what are you doing? You're elevating yourself above the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is actually why a proud spirit is so hard to seek God and to follow God and to yearn after the things of God because you're stuck in your own mind, in your own greatness. There is no one greater, the psalmist writes, I wrote a song called, There is no one greater. Kings and kingdoms fall before your throne. There is no one greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you elevate yourself and you become full of pride, what you're doing is you place yourself a little bit higher and guess what? You become a target. Therefore, if you don't want to be a target, submit yourselves then to God. What does that do? That restores the principle of just falling under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit yourselves to God. Then, you can resist the devil. Do you think you are so special and you are so awesome that you can resist the devil in your own might? I've got news for you. He's going to have a field day with you. Do you know where I choose to be? I choose to be right under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where I choose to be. This morning, will you choose to be with me there? <laughs> I hope so. Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace gives an outcome to the humble. Don't be a prisoner of your past disaster. Oh man, I've lost so much in my life. You had nothing to do with it. It's no, got nothing to do with your failures. Something that you do that was silly or stupid. This is something that you couldn't control. Don't be a prisoner of your past disaster. If we look at the story, I thought of a nice case study. And I want you to consider Ruth, Ruth in the Bible. Here was an upright woman. She did everything right, kept herself pure, and she married, and then disaster struck. And unfortunately, what happened is her husband died, and her sister's husband died, and Naomi, her mother's husband died. Oh, man, <laughs> there must have been some serious outbreak of something there from the guys. But my point being, disaster struck, yet she was a lady out of principle. Ruth 1 verse 16, when Naomi said to her, go back to your old places, your old people, your old cultures. Listen what she says. She says, no, she became a lady of principle. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. 
She was so full of being a lady of principle that she stuck through it. And look at the redemption later in her life as she was redeemed by Boaz. She found favor and the Lord restored all of those things. Church, I want to encourage you. Do not be stuck with your past disaster. Do not focus on that. So forgetting what lies behind speaks about those things for me. And then Paul goes on and he says, but strain forward. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 and 27. I'm going to read it out of two um, translations. And I love the way that the Amplified has done this. I know it's a little bit more elaborate, but bear with me if we go there. Verse 24. Paul, once again, he's speaking to the Corinthians. He's uh, writing to these guys. They have got the Isthmian Games, similar to the Olympic Games, I would imagine. And these guys get together and they race and they box and they wrestle. And if you guys have done any Latin uh, classical culture, you would understand what those things were looking like. And they would train and they would get a laurel wreath. It's, a, it's a, just a thing with, I think, ivy leaves or whatever they could find in the region that would be making. They would get the goal. But here he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, in brackets, their very best to win? Think about the Olympics. Eight people running the eight uh, or the hundred meter sprint. But only one receives the prize. Run, therefore, your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers. This thing that within a month doesn't look like the way it is when they're on the podium, right? But we do not receive an imperishable crown or a crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just like in boxing, but like a boxer. I love it. Boxing was even there. They were, guys were fighting guys for entertainment. <laughs> we know that they died in the amphitheater in Rome as well. But here we see that like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. Here he says, man... I'm hard at work, being vigilant. I train myself. I subject my body to discipline. I work these things. What is he talking about? Push-ups every morning? No, but he's talking about pursuit of Christ in everything that he does. It is a discipline. Let's listen to the message. He says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, but one wins. Run to win. Church, I want to tell you this morning, run to win. I love the hymn that says, keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. There's a race that must be run. There are victories to be won. Oh, every hour, how? By thy power, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep this church true, Lord. Create a stand in us that will pursue you, love you, follow you. Mm. 
run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades, but you're after one that has got gold eternally. Man, let's run for that eternal race, that eternal reward. Don't store up riches here on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Rather, set your mind on heavenly things and store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Those are the things that I'm after. Trust me, the Ferrari and the Porsche would be nice, but <laughs> those things, that single bad thing, you cannot take them with you beyond the grave. I do not know about you, he says, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me, he says. I'm staying alert. Pastor Mark spoke about that two weeks ago, didn't he? He says, stay alert, pray, be awake. Why? Because the devil comes in like a roaring lion seeking whom he can kill, steal from, and destroy. Be alert then. Miss Kim, you said often, you said to me, he's not a lion. He's like a lion. He's not a lion. Don't believe it. That's right. No lazy living for me. Oh, man. <laughs> David, no lazy living for you. Get up. Study the word. Love your family. Love the church. Love God. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then I'm missing out on myself. <laughs> How are we doing for time? Got another eight minutes. I'd like to encourage you. There's a story that I always think of, the ten virgins that were expecting the bridegroom. How many of you guys remember that story from the Bible? I'm going to reference it very quickly. But here's the point. Is the bridegroom is coming, as in the, traditional, uh, the Jewish tradition, the bridegroom goes away, he prepares a house for, for the bride, and then he comes back, and he then has the marriage feast, and there's a great celebration. All right. So the virgins are waiting for the bridegroom to turn. They don't know when that will be, so they've got to be prepared. They've got oil in their lamps. There's 10 of them. Now, what happened? Five of them's oil ran out. You know the story. Five of them's oil ran out. And they said to the other five, please give us some of your oil because we've run out. And they're like, oh, sorry, we've, we've, we can't do that because we're not going to have enough for when the bridegroom comes. Rather, you go to town, you go and buy, and then when you come back, we'll tell him that you were here. That's pretty much what we're saying. Good guys, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. They come back, and the bridegroom's already come. And they stand outside knocking. says, go away. I don't know you. Ooh. I'd like to just ponder. I often actually ponder on this. I want to present you an idea. Ten virgins, which means that all ten of them were in relationship with the bridegroom. All of them knew the bridegroom. All of them were invited. Only five were prepared. The oil speaks of what? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. All ten were invited. All ten were starting to run a race. But halfway along, five of them fell out. Don't know about you, but I want to be in that final five that's prepared, that's got my oil lamp, my lamp full of oil, extra oil for whatever might come. Don't run out of oil. So, here's the deal. For the future, as we are in a race, what do we need? I want to point to you four or five things. One, two, three, four, five things. Bear with me. I'll be quick. Five things. The first is discipline and training. Every athlete needs discipline and training. 
Because why? We are straining forward. We are moving forward. We are running a race. If we don't have discipline and training. Now, in a spiritual sense, what is discipline and training? It is reading the Word of God. It is speaking to God. Have a fellowship, relationship with God first. Love God. Get to God's Word first. And then love people. Those are discipline. It takes discipline to build relationship, doesn't it? It takes time, discipline, effort. We know that. But Hebrews 5.12, the writer, we all believe it's very similar to uh, the Pauline uh, epistles, but we don't know conclusively who wrote Hebrews. But hypothetically, we'll just call him the writer of Hebrews, says in verse 12, 5 verse 12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by what? Constant use. Have what? Trained. See the word there? Trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. You see, the more we get God's Word into us, the more it becomes alive and active. Hebrews 4.12. It is alive, which means it grows. And it's active, which means it's got something in it. It's got the potential to bring forth a change. We need discipline. We need training. Sit under the Word of God. If you can't get to church, get some of your favorite uh, people that preach. Get it on YouTube. Do not let one day go by where you don't get to God's Word. You know, David, it's easy for you. You work for a church. You've got many Bibles in your office. You can just sit. Trust me, with so many things happening in and around the church, Susan will tell you, we run around. It is still a discipline. Still a father. Love my family. <laughs> you know, but it takes discipline. It takes training. Constantly, through constant use, have trained himself to distinguish between good and evil. Number two, we need hope. We are running a race. How are you going to run a race if you've got no hope in actually achieving the goal? Think about it. Oh man, you've already lost the race before you've even started. <laughs> Here's what Paul writes to the Romans. He says in Romans 15 verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. See, when we lose hope, we lose the race. What is our hope? Our hope is eternally in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. That is the hope. My hope is that my family will serve the Lord. Like in Joshua 24, it says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's my hope. My hope is that I will train a child in the way that they should go and that when they are old, they will never depart from. Those are personal hopes. But eternally, my hope is that when I breathe my last year, immediately I will be transformed and I will be taken into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, that's my hope. And because I've got my hope and my mind set on eternity and the future things, it doesn't allow me a lot of time because we're all running, we're all busy. It gives me a lot of time to look back at my failures. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> Strain forward. 
We need discipline. We need training. We need hope. We need strength. Show me one athlete that's running a 41-mile ultra marathon that doesn't need strength. You're going to get through five miles, and if it's someone like me, I'll get 500 yards, and I'm going to be there. <laughs> it is so funny. I'm going to tell a story. My daughter's going to kill me. Here's what happened. She did gymnastics, as most of you guys know. And about two and a half months, she goes, Dad, I'm feeling unfit. I want to go run. Because she could. She could run five miles, no problem. And I said, great, I'm going to take the bicycle and I'll cycle with you while you run. Because I know I'm not going to get <laughs> past the block. <laughs> and here's the deal. She got her gym clothes on, the gym sneakers and the gym. And she's looking like a thousand bucks, all right. And she's looking good. She's looking the part. And she's like strutting her stuff. And she's out of the, out of the yard. And man, we were 200 yards. She goes, oh. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> but we need strength. <laughs> Therefore, if we continuously practice, we are, and I want to challenge you, church, we are so often spiritually fat and not spiritually fit. It's a hard word because for me, I'm thinking, how much of God's word am I getting in? I'm, I'm giving myself nutrition and I'm trying to get the best of God's word in. But then, am I just a hearer of God's word or am I actually a doer? Am I actually being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ? Am I taking that which He's given me energy for spiritually? And am I taking that or am I retaining it all for myself? Am I spiritually fit? Mm. Strength, Isaiah 40, verse 3. But they, we sang about it this morning. Uh, interesting, I chose a song before I knew I was going to speak about this. But, um, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk, and they will not faint. What's our responsibility? Wait on God. Wait on God. They who wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Does it mean just like, okay, waiting for God to... That's not what it is. Those who wait on the Lord, those who are eagerly looking for what God is saying in His Word, those who are speaking to God, say, Lord, speak to me through Your Word. Those who wait on the Lord. Relationship. It speaks about relationship for me. How is your relationship with God this morning? Or have you chosen to take your past failures and elevate that above your relationship with God? Have you taken your past hurts and you've elevated that and made that more important? How is your relationship with Jesus this morning? See, I believe that we have got a day-by-day -day opportunity to wait on the Lord And those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Church, this morning, I don't know what you came in with. I know what I came in with. Do not think for one minute the past doesn't affect me. The things that people have done to me, the things that people have said about me. Okay. So often we forget that today... There is an opportunity. While we breathe right now, this is our opportunity 
to get back in step with God. So this morning, as you hear this, do not harden your hearts. But I want to encourage you, engage. It's like gears, guys. Gears in the machine, you know, the, the transmission. One looks like that. One looks like that. This one runs too fast. It grits. It destroys. But when you wait on the Lord, you engage. And He engages with you. Can you see where I'm going with this? Do not become a prisoner of your past. It doesn't define you. What defines you is what your focus is like right now. Susan, you said it so beautifully a week and a half ago. You said, it's called the present because it's God's gift to us right now. I love that because as we unwrap every day, we unwrap the present. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. With so much sadness, I often wear a jacket with its um, emblem, which is the Namibia Bikers Church. And Peter Dickman, the pastor of that specific church, last Sunday, he preached his last sermon. Two hours later, he exchanged the temporal for the eternal. A guy that had thousands of people under him, senior pastor of a mega, mega ministry at 68 years of age. That was done, buddy. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Once again, how's your relationship with Jesus this morning? Is it on fire? Is it exactly where you want it to be? Can you improve? I'll be first in line. I always want to improve. Why? Because I'm continuously working towards a lifestyle of sanctification. This morning, if this is your heart, to join me in a prayer to say, Lord, I need you, regardless of the past, regardless of what I'm facing right now, I need you. I need hope. I need strength. I need discipline. I need training. I need your word. If that's your heart and you are hungry for more of the things of Jesus Christ in your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, with hearts of gratitude, we boldly approach your throne of grace. Lord, we recognize that we are nothing without you. Lord, we climb off our seven feet soapboxes this morning and we choose to elevate you once again in the lordship of our lives. Father, my prayer is that you will forgive us. Forgive us for distancing ourselves from you, O oh God. Lord, we need you in our lives and we need your precious word to permeate every single thought in our lives. Lord, we declare as a church, the Woodlands Bible Church this morning, we declare that we need you. We are worthless without you. So therefore, Lord, we surrender to you and your Lordship this morning. And Father, see each heart this morning that is wide open. Lord, we cannot hide anything from you. 
And Lord, that is my prayer, that you will once again just fill us. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your peace. Father, give us hope. Give us a discipline and a determination to pursue you with everything that we've got. In Jesus' mighty name we pray that. Amen.